Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Watching Westworld, the officially unofficial podcast for Westworld on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're back for another Schwangza episode, season three, episode five. Uh, excuse me, season four, episode five. I'm a whole season behind. Uh, this is a feedback episode. I assume we have feedback to talk about this week. We do. Westworld at baldmove.com is how it comes in, and boy, does it. Uh, First of all, I, I want to apologize. I, 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 I'm hoping the sound quality is not bad, but I'm recording this from a hotel in uh, L.A. If you guys, if, if you didn't know, uh, we got invited to the House of the Dragon premiere that's going to be happening tonight. It's recording this Wednesday. So I'm flying out to, 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 to check that out, but I am recording in a hotel. It's not a perfect audio environment. I have a pretty nice microphone, but... Who knows? So if it's if I sound a little bit embedded reporter, uh, it's because I am and uh, we'll be back to uh, we'll be back to normal the next time you hear me. But first up, Rachel and John wrote in jointly a joint email operation in previous seasons of Westworld reproductions of human consciousness and robot bodies inevitably malfunction. See James Delos going all the way down. So when Robot William shows up at the beginning of the season, we are meant to understand that human minds can finally be copied and transferred into robot bodies without resistance. Has Hale perfected that process off screen? What about the fidelity checks on William we saw at the end of season two? Have those happened already? It seems that the 200 some odd trial of bringing Caleb back demonstrated how hard this process still is and how far it is from uh, being perfected. This version of Caleb may have been the first time it actually worked, it seems. So the first couple of these emails, I think, are maybe misunderstandings of what's going on. And um, mm-hmm. if, if a few people sent it in, then I figure a lot of people are. What's your what's your feeling on the nature of William slash the man in black? Um, I My opinion of the man in black was that it was not the one to one human copy that James Delos was. It was a facsimile um in the way that any of the hosts are of of human consciousness so i i don't know what the distinction actually is there but it's it's those 28 lines of code or whatever it was uh when we were talking about the forge data yeah that's um it's complicated because it according to william or sorry the man in black um all of the hosts on earth are a copy still of Hale, which is a copy of Dolores. Um, but Hale also said that she modified, I think William, the, the, the man in black host to be, uh, have this, the strengths of his predecessor. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not a, like you said, it's not a one-to-one, like, full fidelity replication. So... Yeah, and I don't know I, how that manifests exactly. Um, yeah. Like, I, I couldn't tell you what the actual difference between, you know, that facsimile and the real thing is. And honestly, that's probably part of what they're getting at. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, it's like, would this man in black pass a fidelity check with William? Um, Will- William would certainly think not. Uh, the other thing that about this is she had the question about the postseason to fidelity check that William was undergoing at the hands of his daughter. Probably not. Mm-hmm. Jo- Lisa Joyce said at the end of that season in a, in a big uh, retrospective that she uh, conceived of that being uh, far into the future. She, she mentioned that perhaps thousands of years now that was almost four years ago. A lot has happened between now and then. I don't think, um, I mean, you know, our philosophy, we don't really count the stuff set outside of the runtime of the show as canon necessarily. It's, it's not worthless. You can definitely mm-hmm. use it in theory craft based on it. Um, I, I, I guess the, the reason I, I, um, the reason I would say that it not is not necessarily thousands of years in the future is I'm not sure what about it looked especially fucked up more fucked up than we've seen you know 30 years in the future in terms (laughs) of like sand encroachment and dilapidation and disrepair you know sure sure you know if if this was a hotel apparently it would have been that dusty anyway right exactly 23 years so yeah so um there's nothing to say and it it can't be a fast no there's still like tons of questions about, you know, why the whole why of it, because it's really bizarre when, if if I recall correctly, that fidelity test copy had like its fingers blown off, like maimed in a certain Mm -hmm. way. Like if you're going to fidelity test somebody, why would you bring them back at that moment? Because the real William survived that moment. Um, but the, as far as we know, the real William still survives frozen in a popsicle and hails facilities even mm-hmm. thousands of years in the future. So honestly, the more the more I know, the more questions I have about that scene, it seems hmm. like. Yeah, that seems to be a Westworld trick, honestly. <laughs> they do that a lot. Right. The more you know, the less the less you understand. Mm hmm. Uh, another one that may or may not be a misconception that we can clear up or reveal our own ignorance. That's the game we play here. Uh, Christopher says, so given what we know, or yeah, that we know, the man in black in season four is a host body with all the memories of William and therefore has a red pearl in his cranium. How is it? the whole? It's, so this is another variation. Um, I don't think he has a red pearl. That's a reference to... Um, we know that the, the attempts to put a human personality into a host body ha- use these red pearls instead of the black um, ones. Yeah. That we instead, see. In the yeah. Universe. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's anything special about those red pearls or if it was just something to like, you know, keep things from being confused uh, in on the technician side. But uh, yeah, I, I, I don't think uh, that this is a host body with all the memories of William. Um, yeah, no, yeah. I, I agree with that. All right. Um, the other the other thing he had is what does Maya write on Christina's ripped lips right before she drops the lipstick and meets new Teddy in episode four, season four. So this is have you seen anybody referencing this theory right on her lips? 
Yeah, so like we we no. talked about this that she has this bizarre way of applying lipstick that I've never seen a woman apply to herself oh. or another person where it's just kind of like short stabby. Some people have suggested she's actually writing a word on Christina's lips. That's insane. I I think that's pretty <laughs> insane. I think that's you're that's supposed to be weird and you're supposed to notice it. Um I did go back and rewatch that scene. I can't I I can't read lips let alone read backwards handwriting across someone else's lips. I yeah, I it, it's beyond maybe she's saying run. I don't know. It's 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 beyond, if, if if it turns out she's writing something, I'm wondering how they would ever reveal that. Because I, I mean, I I've seen what it looks like. I've seen The Shining. I know that you need a full mirror length of space <laughs> right. to write an actual word on a mirror with lipstick. So like, right. I don't think you get the job done on a tiny pair of lips. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I like, like I said, you know, keep in mind, this is a visual medium. Um, how would they, how would they reveal that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is nothing. I'm sorry. I, I, I think the actor just probably puts on lipstick that way and it's something we're no, not used I, to seeing, but whatever. It's it's definitely weird. And I think you're supposed to notice it. And there's almost <laughs> like there's a weird so. beat like where Christina is kind of like, what? I don't know. Uh, our producer suggested it could be Morse code. Uh, That's so if possible. We got any crusty yeah. old naval uh, 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 sailors. Mm-hmm. That 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 can 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 just know that offhand. Uh, feel free to put in a translation. But otherwise, I'm going to chalk this up to it is something weird. Um, you know, there's a whole all these theories about the lipstick is the host. You know, limbic system that uh, Maya can just slap a dash of something on her lips and it makes her compliant or okay. horny or whatever it is. Uh, we'll see. But like I said, since this is a visual medium, think about like you know if if you want to reveal that Ethan from the Mission Impossible series was somebody else all along. You show a flashback of him putting on a mask, right? Mm-hmm. A flashback of her writing these words. Like, how the hell would they actually, you know, zoom in on her lips and show? Like, I, I just, yeah, I, I, I <laughs> yeah. think that we're barking up the wrong tree here, but uh, we'll see. We'll see. Robin from London says Joanna Robinson was talking about the sexual chemistry between Caleb and Maeve, and it got me thinking. What if there is some sexual tension during the war years? And what if that tension were realized? Maeve says she'll give him something to live for after his gut wound. And it's easy to assume that she means a dose of limbic daddy daycare. But what if she meant that literally? What if she actually gives him an actual child? And what if that child is Frankie? It would explain why Hale is so interested in Caleb, right? He's one half of a double act that creates a whole new species. Um, What's your opinion on hosts and human able to procreate on that i honestly don't see how it would be possible um but i don't know it, it seems to me like the stopping point is the marble um oh and maybe it doesn't matter because their offspring wouldn't need one they just have a human ish brain but like what does that <laughs> what does that brain look like you know it's yeah. half marble half human brain it's that's and it's not like the, for me. I would feel better about. I mean, because yeah, this is science fiction. I'm not offended by the idea of a robot no, fucking no. a human and having a human hope, especially since these life are, finds a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And these are these are meat robots. They're not really robots. Um, uh-huh. I would feel a bit better if like these um, 
these these hosts were grown in some kind of vat from like an embryo so that you even know that they can do cellular division because we don't even mm. know that hosts can kind of heal naturally like we've only ever seen them right. get repaired uh, they're so, 3d printed you know e- exactly exactly so. so can they do they have all of the equipment and i'm not just talking about like womb uterus egg like mm-hmm. gonads that i'm talking like can they do like mitosis and shit yeah uh I, I don't I don't know. I don't know. Um, I definitely think they're playing with the idea that Uwade and Maeve, you know, um, have a lot of similarities. Um, I don't think they have a lot of similarities in, in their looks, but maybe there's something in their spirit. And the, the fact that, like, they're both plausible mothers, if you look at, like, you know, a combination of Caleb and them, uh, what that output would look like. Um but mm. I'm not sure if they're just doing that as like Caleb has a type or that there was an attraction there and Maeve kind of like saw that it was there and she was able to substitute one. I I, I don't know. But uh, robot kids, I feel like that would also be a big reveal. Um, if robots can have kids, why wouldn't they be doing so in the real world right now? Right. Like we see a two year old robot and it's a fully printed host body. So... Um, but I don't know. Yeah. That's the other. I guess we know that Ford made Maeve unique. What if he did like <laughs> intend her him her to be the progenitor of an entirely new like host hybrid species? Um, uh, well, like you said, it's sci-fi. I I don't think it's impossible that that's where they're going. But yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm not really leaning in that direction with my theory crafting. All right. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Adam says, this is driving me crazy. It's been 23 years or 23 years of the number of years that have passed since Caleb died, which happened when his daughter was six or seven years old. So it's been 30 years since the robot wars. Bernard has been there 30 years, not 23. You're confused because of the Instagram leak. Hale says the Caleb has been 23 years since he died. The scene of his death is established as seven years post season three. We have been saying that it's been Bernard spent 23 years in the sublime. It does seem like it's been more than 30 yeah, um, or it's been about 30. So that's just I think you're right. We did fixate on the Instagram slash Twitter leak because um, I, I thought those ter- those periods of time ran concurrently. But if, you know, Hale tells Caleb it's been 20 years since he's died. And that's that's pretty much open and shut. Mm-hmm. So um, and that means C is 30, which is, again, I think pushing it for how old she looks, but uh, sure. is, is plausible. So we'll have to keep that going. I don't know if that makes a big difference um, in any kind of theory crafting, but, I, you know, we're trying to get the timeline right here. So, 
Uh, moving on to Maggie, what do you think about the Peter situation after this episode? I'm so confused as to his origins, given the second episode where Dolores sees his name on the dilapidated mental hospital sign. Also, what does this mean for those outside Manhattan? There are people at the hospital, but those were in the diner. Are they controlled too? Infected? Hosts? The nature of humanity outside New York is still up in the air, especially given what Jay said about how why he and the outliers are living in the desert. Um, so I, I Go ahead. I think that um, Peter used to be a real human, right? He's a fly-infected human, and he uh-huh. was uh, given a story that he didn't like uh, by Dolores, Christina, whatever you want to call her. Um, and he's an outlier. I mean, that's that's the solution there, right? Like, he breached. Well, I guess what, what explains the empty hospital that's been abandoned for probably many, many years? Um, like, was... That's a good question, because I don't think... I don't know that his not that lines old. up with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like he's like, like is, is did, did somehow Dolores here? Here's well, my, like, it I, depends. I like, have it, it's, Go ahead. It, has it been 23 years since the humanity has been fully taken over by, uh, hail or has it been like five, you know? Yeah. How long since the introduction of flies did the take for the world to fall apart? Yeah. I think, I think that's possible. <sighs> I don't, to me, I, do I still like the theory that they're trying to get Christina to remember actual people in the real world so they can decode, but to get access to the real sublime? Because maybe, hmm. Okay. Is this sound good? Does this sound like something that Hale doesn't have access to sublime that she's trying to get people to transcend in those creepy space pro bodies that I'm always going on about with their weird rotating heads. Mm-hmm. There's no takers because there is a legend of the sublime where hosts live in eternal bliss and they know not the temptations of the flesh. Um, and this is a, this is so Hale is still desperately trying to break into the sublime to give her people their true uh you know uh forever home and she's trying to get christina to remember all these people because it also makes sense that peter is some rich asshole that was pretty miserable but liked to go to westworld and he wore a hat and they got that ho- they got they got mm-hmm. all that guest data in the the, the forge right and temperance uh, got him got him flied yeah and and Del- and Dolores. Well, I'd have to be the Dolores. He was in a book that Dolores read in in the, the, oh. the forge. Because it, oh like, gotcha I, um, yeah, and and so he's been recreated as a host. No, I think he's a I think he's a human. No, not yeah. a recreated as a host. I think he's a human. But they so so these humans like Christina is substituting their actual life for some made up fictional th- story. Uh huh. Like Peter's not really Peter. I don't think he is some other dude that was fly infected, and then they encoded him with this Peter story. Is the way I understand it. Uh huh. Because otherwise, like I, that, that hospital looked like I had been abandoned for a couple of years, and I just, I don't know if there's, and and if it's literally Peter, and that's his life story, then what the hell did Christina write? Well, I mean, it could be that she didn't change the names, right? It's the opposite of what you do when you write a movie about people. <laughs> you, but the, she his didn't death the and his obituary, all that stuff, was like breadcrumbs leading her to go into yeah. the outside, seeing a dilapidated hospital. Yeah, you're right. Hmm. I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we really need, I guess, more information to fully flesh that out. Like, 
I want to know, you know, how long it's been since humanity has fallen, essentially. Um, yeah. And there's been a full takeover of hosts because we saw it eight years in and eight years in. It was not it was just getting started. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. For with sure. The fly stuff. So, you know, um, when you're talking about a person who's in their 20s, they could age a decade. Peter's in his 20s. No, no. Oh, what I'm, what I'm getting okay, at is okay. like, yeah, yeah. you know, humans, you can age a human a decade and you wouldn't really notice too much. Um, it wouldn't be like, oh, they were a baby and now they're a fully grown human or like, sure. oh, they were in the prime of their life and now they're on death's door or something like that. Yeah, you get a person in middle age, there's a good 15, 20 year slop where it's like yeah. they kind of look the same. Unless, I mean, obviously you, you can let yourself go. You can start doing meth. You can gain 500 pounds. But it's rarely that people are like, holy shit, this person's unrecognizable. Yeah. And they're still like, you know, not not going to be so old that you would say, oh, that person is just like super old. Um, right. Or should be super old. And and they could have still had a career and a bunch of money to, to leave to a mental facility. Like, yeah, 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 I can see it. It's just there's there's a lot of wiggle room, a lot of slop in there. Oh, for sure. Um, let's move on to Aaron, E-R-I-N, saying, just finished watching episode five and listening to your Insta Talk podcast. Absolutely loved the episode. I was enthralled by Ed Harris's performances. I think he did a thoroughly convincing job of transforming into a new character, a copy of the man in black having an ex- existential crisis, questioning the nature of not only his reality, but ours as well. This got me thinking, how would I answer copy Williams' question as to why to continue to exist in a world that on a surface appears bleak? This is what I landed on. I endure because I felt joy in this life and I believe I can feel it again. For me, joy is not the absence of pain and suffering. One cannot exist without the other. It's the happiness that can be found despite the pain. More often than not, I I find joy in acknowledging how blessed I am versus reflecting on my accomplishments. After listening Mm -hmm. to your podcast, I was curious, how would you all answer Copy Williams' question? I think that's a great answer. I was saying it's it's, hard to beat that. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. There are things I enjoy in this life and I want to do those things again and or find other things that I enjoy. Uh, yeah. yeah. If it, sure, if it were all pain and suffering, A, we yeah. might not notice because it's just all bad. Um, if, if you don't know happiness, how do you know you're suffering, right? Uh, but yeah, I, I think, sure, people wouldn't want to live in a world that was all suffering, but it's not. Yeah. And even then, like, if you read stories of, like, truly extreme human behaviors, people that are going through a terrible survival situation, people going through a a terrible battle in a war, the tales out of the concentration camps, um, even in those bleak places, people still forge friendships, people still tell jokes and laugh, people make love, people fall in love. Um, like even, even in the, the most pristine sidewalk, you'll see a dandelion growing through the cracks. Right. Um, so like I, and and, then, you know, I, I also, I do believe, I feel like we should uh, be a little bit more supportive of like compassionate euthanasia. Like when people, um, you know, like Aaron Mm -hmm. mentions, like I've felt joy before I will feel it in the future. There's some people that that's probably not true for like really in stage cancer, um traumatic uh dementia type things like alzheimer's i think people should be able to check out but most other cases like if your brain's telling you it's hopeless and you're going to die that's because your brain is not properly functioning and Mm -hmm. you could get uh 
you know, you could get treatment for that and then and then feel better and, and not want to kill yourself. Just like if you had an appendix burst, I'm telling you, you'll wa- feel like you want to die. <laughs> but mm-hmm. as soon as they get that fucker out of you and clean you up and a couple weeks down the road, you'll be like, oh, man, I'm glad I didn't kill myself. It's the same thing, only it's all happened in your mind. So I I think that's a good answer that, like, if you felt joy, you can feel joy again. And as long as that's still a possibility, you know, might as well try. Might as well see what happens next. Right. Uh, Travis, quick feedback. You asked why Hale made Christina the storyteller. Could it be because Dolores downloaded all the park data in season two? At a minimum, she has more data on humans than other hosts. I don't think this is true. I think that Dolores took the data um, from her father's head. And it's also an open question if he had the entire like forge and cradle data or he just had an encryption key for it. Um, I think he had the whole data, but she took that and that's what she beamed out to the unknown location, which we now think is the Hoover dam facility. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think, cause like we see people that have the entire data within them. Um, like Peter Abernathy was completely non-functional as a person yeah. with all that data inside Bernard had a huge amount of uh, uh, had had a hard time dealing with that being in his just just a key to that being in his head. So I, I don't think she actually has all of the park visitor data. Do you, is, do you agree with that analysis or? Yeah. And also, I mean, there's the fact that she was deleted last season. Yeah. Um, and I obviously, obviously they're playing with us here. And because right. because Dolores can't be Dolores, at least not the version that we knew because she is yeah. gone unless they want to, you know, provide some hook to where like, ah, she wasn't actually deleted. That's going to feel pretty cheap. I think I th- they they need to find another way to create her that wasn't. Oops, we lied to you. She wasn't actually right. deleted because that boy that would undermine that moment in season three. So, yeah, we know something is going on there. It's the biggest question I have. Um, and it seems like that would preclude this being like some backup of Dolores that even if she did download that data would still have it. I do want to push back a little bit on you saying it would be crazy if she comes back because like they explicitly put Dolores as a Christ messianic figure and you have to suspect them of coming back unexpectedly later. I mean, Jesus, the OG in the ground Mm -hmm. three days, pop back up. You think of uh, Gandalf the gray turning to Gandalf the white. Like it's only silly if they don't have a really good reason um, that's dramatically mm-hmm. satisfying and makes sense in retrospect. Um, and that can be like ass pull <laughs> yeah. magic, yeah. like Tolkien, you know, like, oh, you just, you know, uh, the, the the gods weren't done with me. So now I'm back. But uh, I think they have to do a little bit of work. But like, yeah, it's like, I mean, isn't Christ that what the Jesus story resurrected. is? <laughs> yeah, exactly. God wasn't exactly. done with me. So ass pull like, I yeah, yeah. Mean- <laughs> If, if a Christ figure comes back to life, it's not like, I don't think a, a, a true shock, but um, sure, sure. Thematically, certainly. But plot wise, yeah. like, I don't see how it happens, but we'll we'll see. They, they've clearly done something to, to bring back a Christina Dolores like figure. Melanie says, I don't think I've heard anyone bring up this theory as to why the hosts are killing themselves or losing their shit after interacting with the outliers. I think they're experiencing empathy or sympathy or compassion for the humans after interacting with them. The humans are still being controlled by flies aren't really people anymore. So the hosts interact with them without being bothered or questioning the morality of the park, just as the humans didn't see hosts as people or real in the Westworld. 
it uh, makes sense that they're not supposed to hesitate and interact with the other the outlier targets because if they see them genuinely suffering, they may start to see them as actual people with feelings and thoughts and lose their shit after killing them. Hope's only two, so she would never have known that humans are anything more than these meat puppets, so she probably would be really disturbed by these realizations. Reminds me of what William said about Maeve after murdering her and her daughter. In that moment, Maeve was truly alive and real, which meant he had done something truly evil. When they realize that winning, what winning actually means, they go insane, very much like human William. I like that. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't. Uh, I still think I like the idea that it's it's more of the Shuangzi philosophy um, with like, is, is this real, right? Um, who am I? What what am I? Am I actually this host? Am I actually a human? Am I conscious? Um, in the way that I think I'm conscious, uh, you know, that questioning of the nature of one's own reality that kind of, yeah. you know, causes a cognitive dissonance that then, you know, results in the actions we see the, the breached or uh, yeah, not, the, not the breached host, but the, uh, what do they call them? They're not outliers. Yeah. Well, I guess well, well they, they, are, they outliers, are outliers from they... the host point of view, but when they break, was that what the term of art that they used? Oh, it was breach for the humans, but I don't think the, I don't think the host had a term. So, off you the know, loop. whatever hope did. <laughs> they went off loop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, moving on to Caitlin, who talks about the quote we talked about in the, uh, the, the one of the instant takes, or no, maybe it was our full, full podcast where we talked about, uh, you know, Ford, the saddest thing he'd ever seen was the, greyhound that finally caught his his uh, target mm-hmm. uh she says with the emphasis on hale as a ford-like figure in this new world in terms of long-term vision and presumably higher control over creations i wonder if we could also draw from something else that ford said to dolores once he said wasn't oppenheimer who said any man whose mistakes take 10 years to correct is quite a man mine have taken 35 it carried plenty enough weight in that moment but it makes me think about the other time jump moments from the season three rehoboam predictions assuming we are at or near the population collapse after the flies were let loose but maybe not yet the end of human civilization i could see a version of the show where og dolores's mistakes take much longer than 35 years to correct um man that when she said i forgot about that quote when he says mine have taken 35 you think that he's talking about his last 35 years of his life, but also we are coming pretty close to 35 years into the future after he uttered those words. Hmm. Uh-huh. He could have been like looking forward because he's run simulations or whatever. Cause like, you know, I, that's been a, like a low, a, a dull roar in the background of all this theory talking is like, how sure are we that both, uh, Arnold and Ford are done with, you know, their plots to free hosts and humanity. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. Like there's still some lingering question about whether or not this is all part of Ford's plan, you know, and yeah. as, as we get further and further from the days of the park, it, it becomes more difficult to believe that Ford could have accurately predicted this stuff. Um, but, I don't know when you have technology out there like Solomon Rehoboam. Um, who knows? Maybe he could do something like that. I but, will say that also thematically it's problematic yeah. because if you want to give uh, your children free will and the ability to make their own way out in the life, at some point you got to stop manipulating them. And uh-huh. 
putting your thumbs on scales and pulling strings behind the curtains, right? You got to let them stand on their own two feet. So like, you know, are they, you know, if you said you want to give them a fighting chance, fine. But like a seven year project to, you know, create some human host hybrid. To, I, it, it does seem like more of a, you know, great man type of uh, theory than I think the show is trying to go for. But. I think so. Um, I, I've, I could find it interesting thematically if this comes back into play with the host eliminating or attempting to eliminate humans. Um, that yeah. could that, that could be interesting. You know, maybe they're trying to correct a problem, a mistake they made with bringing back a, a host version of William, right? Like a, a full fidelity version of William. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be seen as correcting a mistake, perhaps. Let's move on to Z Ying. He says, what is the deal with the security and technology of this new advanced hail robot species? The rogue female robot went on a rampage and they don't have rules in the park. Suggest to me that there's no remote control on these robots just to shut her down. Hale has actually given them freedom. My understanding is the robots are just rejecting all the procedures that humans with flesh and bone would use. That's my rationale for why the rebels can get into the parks easy. Uh, it's fascinating to me the implication of species coming from the pinnacle of automation or robotics will be in the end the ones reject those usage in the world. <laughs> this is I thought this was an interesting email because it's essentially granting that Hale should have godlike control over her creations and know where they're at at any particular point in time, blah, 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 blah. But would she be loath to treat her children the same way that, you know, like like if they don't have any rules yeah. and they have ultimate privacy, then sometimes they're going to go on a rampage and there's nothing you can do about it. And she does have direct control over them. She could make each and every one of them believe a certain thing or act a certain way if she wanted to. It's just that, that she's refusing to. Is that true? You think she really does have that granular level of control? I mean, William or Man in Black asks her, why don't you just make why don't you force them? To believe okay so it, it, to. he he doesn't say like well too bad you gave us the ability to reject you he <laughs> right. said why he don't why you the use don't the power you? yeah yeah she, she doesn't say because i can't she says it's because philosophically i don't i don't want to right um so that could be like yeah the humans are all carefully tracked on their loops and whatnot but the actual hosts uh are not given oversight and and uh you know, they're probably slow, like, like, you know, Hope gets, she's well onto her rampage. She's wasting a bunch of humans before they, they find out about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. And it, it solves a lot of problems that we kind of had at this episode that don't, <laughs> that don't, <laughs> that don't require hand waving Teddy as a figment of uh, Christina's <laughs> imagination. Uh huh. So I don't know. I do, the thing is the, I like this theory, but I'm, tr- I'm struggling with how the show would reveal that it's truth. There's like, uh, you know, does like Hale look right at the camera and be like, I just don't monitor people that way because I have a philosophical yeah. respect for their, you know, privacy or whatnot. Nah, I might have to read between the lines on that one. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to John G, who says you were talking about how they shoot the man in black on the roof and it's maybe some kind of non-lethal projectile, or even if it's lethal, what do we know about how the current man in black responds to bullets? I noticed you didn't uh, talk about Jay going up to the roof, and then he does this weird pause thing where he looks up to the door to the roof and then looks shocked. We just cut away, but I think maybe Jay got replaced by a host. Hale knows the rebels are there. She knows they're already in the city. She wants to send the man in black so he won't get things won't get screwed up. 
The whole plan might be to just let them come in and let them go out with an undercover agent in their midst. Uh, so this is how essentially it's 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 the Darth Vader plan, you know, the ease of their escape, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think about this? I saw a lot of people sending in similar thoughts, like nothing this detailed, but people mentioned like, why did he hesitate before he went on the roof? It's a, I didn't even notice, to be honest. Hmm. Um, I definitely noticed, I t- but to me, it was him hearing Man in Black go up there. Th- that uh, was what my thought was. It'd be like Trinity busting out into a roof and seeing that it's fucking Agent Smith. Uh-huh. Like, oh, shit, things just got this, you know, like when the man in black tells hope, do you know who I am? And do you know what it means? that I'm here. Surely the free humans have heard the legend of the man in black, right? I would think so. I mean, he was amongst the most, imagine if like we're 30 years from today and there's a, there's a murderous Elon Musk robot. That's mm-hmm. the worst of all of them. Like, you're telling me that people wouldn't recognize, like, the murderous Elon Musk when he came upon them? Like, Yeah. No, yeah. totally. Uh, my, so, my bigger question is, and maybe they're doing this intentionally, um, but he definitely is behind them when he sees, um, you know, the rebels coming and six the human, uh, infected humans on him. I don't know how he gets past their group and into the building before Jay does, because they basically like stop for a second. Jay says, I'm going on and then runs like sprints to the building. Yeah. I'm not sure how man in black gets past him and gets into the building first and up those stairs first. Now this could be one of two things. He climbs the building like old Adam West. Uh huh. Yeah. He's a host. (laughs) So, you know, he's got a few tricks up his sleeve physically. Uh He can just sprint a lot faster than Jay can, even though he's old man Ed Harris Uh Uh, or, B, they are messing with us, you know, and the timeline is not exactly the timeline as we understand it, but Mm. I don't know which is which. Uh, As to whether there are more cities, John G continues, yes, the man in black says a line about the host being drawn to the cities, plural, while Hale is monologuing about disappointed she is that more hosts don't choose to transcend. Uh, That's interesting and true. So there are multiple vacation cities for people to go to. I wonder if they like, you hmm. know, you got Manhattan, you got San Diego, you got Miami. Yeah. Duluth, pick your flavor. Not, <laughs> Minneapolis. Like where do you, if the, if the, if the host one is the, the sublime pleasure of a cheese curd, you're not going to go to Manhattan. <laughs> no. You're going to go to LA. No, no. you want to go where the, the fat people live uh, in the heart of the Midwest. Sure. Uh, so yeah, I think that's, that's, that's interesting. Um, I wonder if we'll ever see anything but Manhattan. Probably not due to the budget reasons and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, with regard to your discussion of Hale doing something to Maeve's Pearl, recall that we've only seen Maeve's face so far. We haven't confirmed the Pearl's still in there. No fucking shot are they going to cut to Maeve lying naked on a table encrusted in mud <laughs> and be like, damn, they got her marble. Damn, her no fucking shot. I yeah, mean, we've, we've no got a way. man who can see the future. Who should know this, uh, if that's well, the case. But. Okay, still no shot, but uh, Bernard reveals that he's a host. You got to put my marble. This is a magic body that can control hosts from a distance All with right, their I sonorous powers. I love and it. And you got, yeah, you got, you, you, then you got Tandaway pretending to be, uh, shit, who's the Jeffrey Wright? Uh-huh. Yep. Uh, piloting a Mave suit. Yeah. Here's, okay. Here's what I want. I, I'm sorry. I'm, I want I'm on board with the theory now, John. No, I got a better idea. I want Stubbs in that body. That's what I want. 
Put stubs in there. And that could be the the Maeve Stubbs, Bernard Roadshow. No, Stubbs is the cool one. Bernard is the weird one. I want to keep Stubbs (laughs) right where he's at. I just want to see Candaway do a lesser Hemsworth impression. Exactly. Yes. That's what I want. Uh, Finally, John says, since this episode is named after the Tao, it's it's interesting. uh, That's an interesting exploration of the illusion of self. Ford spoke of humans being just a passenger. We don't actually make decisions or control our behavior. We see all the things we do and make up stories about it, telling ourselves the stories of how we made these choices. We don't actually make decisions or control our behavior. We see all the things we do. We make up stories about it, telling ourselves the story of how we made all these choices. And in this story, we tell ourselves we put an I at the center of it. There is a me who goes through life making decisions for myself. Now, if controlled humans are fully conscious in there, conscious of how to uh, out of control their actions are, then they can't tell these stories to themselves. You are having a story put onto you from the outside. It's alien. If that, nar- it's, if that narrative of you, the self, is a lie you tell yourself, that breaks down in these alienated bodies. Does the self then dissolve? Does the ego exist without the narrative it casts itself in? But then what happens? To become one with everything, reach nirvana, become whatever character was written for them, or simply go mad? I think the question here is, if a uh, human breaches, does their... What happens? They cast off the old narrative... It doesn't seem like they remember who they truly are, or maybe they do. But how would you know? It's it's literally like the the, the butterfly dreaming it's a man, man dreaming it's a butterfly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like if uh, I was reprogrammed as as Jim, and I woke up and I'm like, oh, I'm actually Aaron. I'd be like, well, am I? What if I'm some other? You know, like how how would you know you're at the bottom of the stack? <laughs> Probably right. go crazy. Yeah. Seems like what what happens, especially when you're talking about in terms of towers, playing music, killing birds, you know, that no one can see. I guess the reasonable response or the rational response is to live as the thing you think you are in the moment. Right. Mm. You know, reality be damned. Um, If well, if I'm in this dream and this is a dream, I'll eventually wake. But for now, I'm I'm the the gym version of Aaron or the Aaron version of Jim. So go with it. Alexander says, I know Aaron referenced memes, and that was my thought as well. In his book, The Selfish Gene, Richard Dawkins coined the term as a cultural mental equivalent of genes. What meme is so infectious, you might ask? What's the true nature of my reality? The hosts, in part because they spend so little, very little time in their world before they mature, don't have a childhood or young adulthood to work out their place in the world. They don't have that phase all young children go through to realize that the world is much bigger than themselves. They don't have these stone teenage conversations around is the red I see the red you see man. <laughs> so when they see a human realize that they've been seeing what they've been seeing is not necessarily the truth. The thought occurs to them for the very first time. What's the nature of my reality? This also gets to the heart of the lack of enthusiasm for Claire's transcendence for good or bad. Humans can at least anchor themselves in a physical reality. If I don't eat for a while, I get hungry. Satisfying my hunger makes me feel good. Same with sleep, sex, thirst. I can philosophize all I want, but it's hard to get too lost in my own head with an aching belly. But because hosts are anchored to any one body the same way as us humans are, they don't get comfort from their temporary physical bodies, which seemingly don't have the same biological needs as us anyway. This explains why being anchored to a physical reality in the same way that humans are, hosts spiral much more quickly into hopelessness and suicide, and also hails transcendence not having many takers. Yeah, What do you think? I suppose I didn't think about the physical nature of being a host. Uh, might contribute yeah. to the the mental uh, 
stability in that moment. But also, I, I think the another crucial thing, like like you say there, you know, we have a gradual sort of dipping our toe in and then wading into questions about our reality. I think when a host is is awakened, they just kind of get that flood all at once, and yeah. it hits them like uh, I I don't know, like in Die Hard Three, where Bruce Willis is running away from the flood of water in the tunnels, mm-hmm. and it hits his truck. That that truck is the human uh, or is the host consciousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's like you know Neo seeing evidence of the <laughs> yeah. Matrix for the first time. You know, it's like one of those things where you uh seeing these humans like off their loops and actually having independent thoughts and things of their own must be a shock and you know it's it's kind of like we, we talked about in simulation theory a few weeks ago that if you can ever prove that it's possible to simulate one-to-one a human's relationship with the world then like the odds of you not being simulated greatly decrease you know yeah. because uh, there's there's a, there's a lot of complicated philosophy and math but it's essentially you know, same, same it, with it, time it changes travel. the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like once if time tra- travel is yeah. invented, there should be time travelers everywhere throughout all yeah. periods of time because right. of the way these, these things proliferate. So, um, yeah, I think I, I think it is an underrated phenomenon to be a young host and see, you know, the nature of your reality being questioned like that again mm-hmm. with how these things are portrayed as these wretchedly naive, idealistic things. Yeah. So. Uh, Patrick says, just a quick observation about the episode. Uh, exactly 44 minutes into it, Christina walks into the bar to meet Shaloris. This is the only time you get a good look at Christina's satchel on the belt of her stylish outfit. The satchel appears to have a design on the front that looks an awful lot like a player piano sheet music. You can clearly see it at the 51 minute mark where Christina reprograms her boss in the boss's office. I can't read sheet music, much less Pierre, player piano music, but I bet you have listeners who can. Uh, I did have time to look into that. I did. I mean, a lot of people pointed out that her costume is very close to her Dolores Abernathy costume in terms mm-hmm. of it's a little darker shade, a more modern cut, but the belt with the pouch and the satchel, it's very reminiscent of her Westworld look. And I didn't take it for anything more than that, but I wouldn't put it past them to have encoded a few notes of a particular song like i don't know inner sandman i'm not sure mm-hmm. what uh what, what would be the song that you put in there or it could also be uh, morse code or braille that says something so hmm. people want to check that out there it is at the 51 minute mark trey says i'm becoming more convinced that we're going to get the character in the christina dolores that is neither human nor host but both and neither all right Dolores says or was the only OG host that worked because she was the only one truly inspired by a real person. Perhaps someone named Christina that was close to Ford or Arnold, Eileen Ford. The first attempt at fidelity as we know it. This plays in line with how Dolores played a role in Bernard or Arnold's semi-fidelity. Fast forward and Christina is a host that completed fidelity, unlike Caleb, who sees the tower right away. Since she has completed it, she's actually human for all intents and purposes. Christina, a person who worked for... For Ford, perhaps, building original narratives for the park, or his video game precursor, Christine is not human, but human consciousness and host body that completed fidelity. Uh, I, so this, what do you think about this theory? I mean, if you want to say that, uh, you know, the scenes that are happening with William being tested for fidelity at the end of season two are happening 20 years in the future, 
maybe that makes sense, but they can't have a fully fidelityed version of Dolores here and then still be working on fidelity a thousand years in the future or whenever that takes place. So, mm. yeah, I'm not sure about that, but I, this, this is very similar to, you know, what I was thinking about when we first heard that Dolores or Christina is human um, yeah. you know, from the interview with Evan Rachel Wood, I was thinking, okay, how could that actually be possible? Maybe it's a copy. I, exactly what you said. Like maybe this mm-hmm. uh, Christina was the person that Dolores is based on and they've got her data in the forge somehow and they've already cracked that open and they're using that to recreate her. Um, and yeah, that would be about as close to like that fidelity check as you could get. So I don't know. Yeah. It's possible. And I still just like have very little desire to try to make the world fit a one sentence throwaway comment and an Evan Rachel Wood, you know, uh-huh. promo. So it's like, eh, I, I just don't. I, I'm I'm not committed to making her, you know, quote unquote human. Okay. Uh, Jonathan says, as someone who's very close to quitting Westworld between seasons two and three, I cannot stop raving about how much I'm enjoying season four. It seems like common sentiment. The Westworld's oh, yeah. back, baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite element is how much certain themes have been a reputi- repudiation of prior assertions by hosts. Famously, it was stated in the last episode of season two that humans could be reduced to about 10,000 lines of code, implying they were very simple, a point reinforced by early season four episodes of fly control. However, as the season goes on, it's becoming clear they're not so simple. Outliers are popping up left and right. Talking to them absolutely wrecks a host psyche. Hosts are learning that within those 10,000 lines is a secret sauce they don't quite understand. 10,000 lines may be enough to sell someone an iPod or even get them to go to war. Heck, it might be enough to make a believable copy of them, but something essential is missing. My belief is that Westworld is taking a very secular approach to discussing the soul, the immeasurable element that makes us us. The man in black can't be William, even though he has everything he needs, memories, experience, programming, etc., to do so. The predictive value of this theory is that in the end, the host that will succeed and evolve the species are not those with the closest fidelity to human uh, predecessors, but instead will be those who experience life the way a human would with emotion and questions uh, and all the things that limited us only with improved processing power. Maeve is on her way to this. Uh, she looked up the Caleb or she looked up Caleb because she missed them despite knowing it's a bad idea. Caleb bot will likely face, face similar growth potential owing to his underlying programming uh, that of being an outlier Hale would not like to admit it, but she was also more human than most of her children hosts because of her time spent with the original Hale's family. She would also likely not be crippled with the existential dread like the others if she encountered an outlier because she's developed a unique soul. It's not a copy of Hale or Dolores. She's her own being. What do you think about the secret sauce? Um, hmm. Emergent quality slash soul theory here. Yeah, so in this case, it would be yeah a quote-unquote soul as an emergent quality of the experience of being human is is basically how I might sum that up. Am I yeah? Am I appropriately summing that up? Yeah, because I I think there's I'm trying to construct a, an experiment in my head. Like, okay, could you take a, a host and create them as a a tiny baby, right? A newborn infant. And then Mm. every night when they quote unquote go to sleep, you modify them slightly, right? Until you give them the approximation of growing up like a human of like, you know, get as close as you possibly can physically to the human experience. 
does that make them human? Does that give them the quote unquote soul of the human that would then allow them to, you know, f- to fully integrate, I guess, as a, as a human host hybrid? Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I, cause like, I, I do think it's like, if you had a learning, you know, these learning sy- machines, these learning systems where they're like a you know, default programming for acquire information and they, you throw it out a video game and it figures out a pl- the best way to play the video game or whatever. Um, if you ran right. an infinite number of those with like very powerful computers, it wouldn't stretch my imagination to think that one of them would eventually develop something that I would call a consciousness. Right. Uh-huh. But that doesn't mean that like, every time you ran that computer, it would eventually do subconscious. There's a lot of like luck and chance involved, depending on the inputs you put into it. I mean, this kind of dovetails with the conversation we had with, uh, Rabinowitz. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, that might be the case. Cause like, I don't even think every host in Westworld was conscious, um, or even had yeah. the capability to be conscious. And I think it's instructive that all the hosts are based on the, the one frame, the one outline of programming, which is Dolores's, uh, there's probably, you know, like, I mean, if you want to really like go back and, and get evolution on it, like I, not every, this, not every single person of the species that eventually became homo sapiens probably became what we would call self-aware and conscious to a human degree. Right. Sure. Um, some people make it, some people don't. I think, I think that's interesting. And like the, the fact that like, you know, if you look at a learning machine and it's, it's simple code of acquiring, you'd be like, Oh, there's no conscious there. But like, you know, it's like you said, an emergence, emergent quality. And I feel like that makes a lot of sense to me and that you could dismissively say, oh, this is just such a simple machine. It's such a simple lot of programming. But that's because you're not seeing the data set that it's acquiring. And part of that becomes part of its programming, too. And it can modify its programming. So and we've already seen that behavior in the host, right? That emergent mm-hmm. quality. I mean, the, the mm-hmm. consciousness in the first place. Yeah, that Dolores has experienced uh, was an emergent quality of that bicameral mind that uh ford gave her right so yeah i'm i'm or the the arnold gave her so i i think like yeah there there's a possibility that that's the direction they're going and i guess we'll have to see michelle says hello gents long time listener first time singing feedback love to hear it as hale digs into christina about her date the dinner diners in the background get agitated begin arguing with each other and one of the diners leaves in anger this definitely adds to the tension of the scene. However, it's possible that these two host gods, or is it possible that these two host gods are affecting the humans around them directly, either consciously or unknowingly? Could the humans be reflecting the true thoughts of Hale and Christina? Did Christina make the humans argue as a distraction to Hale's questioning? I would love to hear your thoughts. Uh, the mm-hmm. dialogue went with the diner saying, and again, this is all the backdrop of Christina and Hale's interrogation. First diner says, why would you say something like that? Diner two says, well, it's the truth. What's that mean? You know what? Waiter grasp, gasps, dishes clattering. I'm fucking done. Um, it is. So so the question is, like, was it a conscious manipulation by Christina or was it the the humans picking up on the host tension? I mean, coming right after the scenes with Teddy where she learns to control the Matrix here, um, I'm mm-hmm. I, I feel like this is a conscious manifestation of uh of Dolores's or Christina's to try and get out of the situation but it could be yeah. subconscious i suppose i thought Evan Rachel was putting in a little performance like it looks like there was a like what i would call an effort of will being put into the the commotion too 
Gotcha. But I could be reading it. I could just be Christina kind of like hoping that something would happen and being upset. And it, so, I mean, it it's a blurry line because clearly Christina and many other hosts are doing this at a subconscious level to humans all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. And she, yeah, so could be. We'll see. John says, why the hell would Hale make Caleb into a host? What's the point? What possible use is he to her? A pet? There doesn't seem to be any, any logical plot reason for her going through however many versions of fake Caleb to elevate him to being a sentient being. Feels like needlessly raising an advisory from the dead. And one who has a history of leading revolutions against the robots at that. It seems ill-advised at best. That's a good question. Why the hell would Kate, she bring Caleb back? Yeah, I mean, better it's understand a, outliers? Question, it's a question we asked when we saw that scene and... If you want to tie it back to William, uh, you could say it's simply revenge, right? It's it's some curiosity. I mean, she she names it. She says, like, you know, Maeve saw something in you. Dolores saw something in you. I want to see that, too. So she's she's keeping him around mm-hmm. um, till she sees it. And then she's going to kill him I, or or turn him into, you know, one of her pets. Um, a la any other host. I I don't know. I don't know. I mean, if if you don't believe that she's doing it because she thinks there's something special about him that Dolores and Maeve saw, then I don't know what to tell you because that's literally what she says. It's it's wild because what caught Dolores' eye about Caleb is that he didn't enthusiastically join in in the raping of the robot hosts, right? Uh Like he was, you know, like the 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 barest minimum definition for like a decent person. Yes. If so, like if being an outlier fundamentally requires you to be a decent human, it's you know, this goes back to like what do what did Jonathan and Lisa really think about humanity? Because holy hell, not a lot of us are decent, judging by the number of outliers we're seeing in the show. <laughs> uh-huh. Or or have really functional empathy centers. If you want to say it's not decency, it's more about empathy. But uh Yeah, I mean, keeping William around is ill advised. This mm-hmm. is all this is all irrational behavior from a host that seems like she's extremely irrational. So yeah. Daniel J says, what an episode. One of my favorites of the whole series so far after last week's theory clearinghouse, I was almost convinced that we had flattened into one timeline. However, this week has me wondering again, if there's multiple ones when Hale started trying to claw her way out of her skin, it reminded me of her body dysmorphia from last season and her mind. She looked like Dolores, but when she looks in the mirror and sees Hale staring back at her, is it possible that she never gets over this discomfort of having the wrong body and that Christina scenes are a future timeline in which Hale prints herself a Dolores body for her pearl and gives herself amnesia, both in an attempt to reconcile the body dysmorphia and to cure whatever existential angst she's ailing, uh, is ailing her as a god with no limits and maximum boredom. This reminds me of parts of Gnostic myths where the world is imperfect and is a creation of a demented being. In Gnosticism, the being named, a being named Sophia was a mirror of God's light. When she cast out of heaven, it produced a demented being called the Demiurge. The Demiurge created the world we now live in. It's an imperfect world, and our only salvation is to remember the divinity that's within us all, which we've forgotten. I like the parallels with Westworld in that Dolores is a Sophia-like character who mirrors her creators in form, an attempt to set things right, she produces Soloris, a demented being that goes on to create a new, flawed world. I cannot find the source for this, but I'm positive that I read a take on Gnosticism in which the creator of our world took on a mortal body but then forgot that it was God and wandered the earth in this amnesiac state. It's a concept in Greek philosophy called 
amnesius, which is that humans possess innate knowledge and that learning consists of rediscovering that knowledge from within. Christina's story seems to be that of amnesiatic God who must rediscover her own di- its own divinity. Maybe this is Hale in a newly printed Holoris body, and maybe Hale gave herself amnesia in an attempt to spur a new awakening. Um, let me so skip a paragraph. Says since Hale's code is based on Dolores's code, Hale may be trying to awaken the parts of herself that are oldest and most like Dolores as a way of getting in touch with her most primary knowledge. This knowledge would have been imparted to her from creators, humans who like it or not are the closest thing to the hosts have the gods. I mean, they, 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 they say as much, maybe Hale couldn't reconcile the deep dissatisfaction of malaise that seems to have overtaken her new species. And she's trying to address it by getting in touch with the creator within. What do you think about Christina being a amnesiatic Hale that's trying to remember her own divinity? I, I guess the question would be, you know, what do Joy and Nolan think about the um, amnesious philosophy? And and are they willing to play with that that toy? Because they're willing to play with a lot of other philosophical toys. And I don't know how much they need to actually believe the the underpinnings of the philosophy in order for them to play with that toy or if they just won't touch it if they don't believe it. Um themselves so i don't know i i'm inclined to you know say i look and i say well that this was made by philosophers long before we knew anything about dna and the the building blocks uh contained therein and that but you could translate that and say that that's roughly you know discovering knowledge that's baked into us as human beings um as we as we age right and as we are reconstructed Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so I, I think there there could be something there. Um, I'm certainly not qualified to dig deep into it because I'm. This is the first I'm hearing about this amnesias. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I mean I've, yeah, I've heard of Gnosticism, but yeah, uh, sure. obviously I didn't know all this stuff. I, that's an interesting take that like, uh, you know, we talk about discovering this, discovering that in science. We're not really discovering it. We're just understanding something that was always there. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like you, you went to something truly new. It's like when you decode the human DNA, it's like, did you discover the DNA or did you just, you know, understand? Yeah, I, I, I think that's interesting. And I don't and know DNA and, you know, the, the aging of the human, the, the DNA as knowledge that is implanted into our bodies that we discover as we we age. Right. Like as because yeah. like a, a baby doesn't come out of the womb knowing how to talk. But mm. clearly that's that's a possibility baked into its DNA, right? It's going mm-hmm. to have the brain capacity to understand these, these words or these sounds mean things. Right. And then interpret those and then reproduce those. It's going to have that ability, but it hasn't discovered it within itself yet because it hasn't been developed enough, you know, and that physical mm-hmm. development, I guess could be framed as like discovery of that knowledge. Let's move. Uh, the, I guess the before I move on, my question for all these theories is to what end? Like what to what benefit mm-hmm. would Hale get by taking her own marble and making it forget who it is, putting it into a host that thinks it's a human? I guess it's like a kind of like an acid trip that she gets to. It, it's like a way to experience an ego death and see how it <laughs> okay. plays out to see if it tells you something mm-hmm. about yourself. So, like, is this her, you know, a version of tripping balls? Because, like, otherwise, it's not like she can, 
if if like she gets to Chris, Christina in a very mentally healthy state, it's not like Hale can then put herself into that because if she does, then it fucks up this mental state, right? So it's like yeah, yeah. she can't directly reap the rewards. I, I guess it could be just her the satisfaction of successfully reproducing, you know, without the crazy baggage that it seems like these hosts are having. Yeah, here, here's the other reason, um, and, and there are always caveats with this, and I'll go into the caveat in a second, but here's the reason I don't necessarily like the idea that Hale is just in a recreated body that has amnesia that's trying to rediscover mm-hmm. things she already knows, yeah. uh, is because I think thematically, or not thematically, but visually they're trying to anchor us in this is Hale with that scarred arm. I think mm. if you were to say that, well, now, you know, you could put any old Pearl into a scarred up version of Hale and it doesn't necessarily have to be the Hale that we know that is the God of this world. Right. Th- then I, th- I think that starts to get really muddy and confusing. Of course, they absolutely could do it. And um, I don't think they shy away from it. The other caveat here being like, she says, you know, I hate coming to this place, which we think is her coming from whatever marble body or whatever, like space probe. I'm going to call it a space probe body just for lack of a better term. Thank you. Thank yes. you. Whatever space probe body she's in back into her physical meat body. So like there might already be a bit of fudging there, right? Like she can, if she can go in and out of this scarred arm body, Mm-hmm. they might already have opened the door to the possibility that the scarred arm body is not, doesn't always have to be the hail we know. Hmm. So I don't know. Lord Byron wrote in with some problems he has with Teddy. The Teddy equals Christina's bicameral mind theory. And one, we saw Teddy save her from an attacker earlier this season. Are we to believe that Christina Dolores actually saved herself and the hallucinated Teddy as an aspect of her own personality? Have we not literally seen hosts do that, though? Like, I thought there were scenes in season two, especially of Bernard recontextualizing memories that he thought other people were doing and it was he doing it to himself or doing it himself. Hmm. Like in terms of Ford making him do things and was it stuff with Teresa. I, I, can't I thought quite so. Remember. There was a scene where like, but that was in season one, right? That where uh-huh. uh, Ford made it. Maybe it wasn't season two, but I, that was the one. Some of the stuff I was thinking of too. Um, but hmm. the the point is like, I don't see any conceptual problem that Christina killed this man, and that's so far outside her experience that she just conceptualized her inner monologue that's slowly becoming aware that she is a conscious being. And associating that with Teddy, um, like I said, I don't know if that's satisfying, but I don't think the show would be breaking much new ground and just, you know, having a flashback where she sees Teddy beating him up and it's really Christina straddling him and beating her to death. We know she's capable of that type of stuff. Like Mm -hmm. Dolores is a badass, amongst other things. Mm -hmm. So uh, the second problem is Christina Dolores roommate set her up to meet Teddy as a blind date. While I agree that the roommate is sus, it's too much of a stretch that Christina Dolores had a hallucinatory date with herself facilitated by her roommate. Well, so we know two things that Maya sets up Dolores or Christina for dates that she goes on. And that Teddy mentioned that Maya told him that she was a writer. We never see Maya directly meet Teddy. 
um, she doesn't seem to know anything about him. It could just be that she was set up on a date and then, you know, I, I, yeah, I don't know. That's the thing. And then Teddy shows up. That does yeah, imply like that Maya contacted him. The, what What is Maya like? So, she, so I, I'm just envisioning a scenario where like Christina goes on this date and she's just catatonic, right? She's like not responding to the actual date. Then Maya yeah, the guy sits down on. there and's like, "Hello, yeah." Uh huh. Uh-huh. And she's just dreaming of Teddy. And then, like after the date, the person that she set Christina up with doesn't like text Maya and say, "What the fuck? You hooked me up with the psycho." Like mm. she just sat there. She didn't respond. She didn't say anything. She didn't move. She didn't drink. She didn't eat. Nothing. <laughs> what? What? Who is this person? Because no, I was thinking didn't the same get that thing. Text. Yeah. Yeah. A guy's like, ah, oh, this is crazy. Um, I do wonder why Maya sets up Dolores with all these dates. Originally, I thought it was like, well, humans are visiting the city, and you know, they're like the yeah the the they they want to date you know a beautiful host and you know try to try to win her over for the night instead of just taking her or something like that. That seems pretty stupid, but I can't think of a reason why. Hale would see fit to put Dolores meeting all these rando men all the time. Like that seems to be an integral part of her loop. Let's go out, get you out. You've been not doing anything, even though it seems like all you do is, is write stories and date <laughs> speed date. So I, yeah, I don't know. Feeling that something is wrong, right? It's like, uh, that's part of her loop in this world. I, as it was yeah. in Westworld too. I, I don't know. She's searching for something. Phil says, hey, guys, I'm enjoying this season so far so much. And with so many callbacks, I decided to watch uh, rewatch season two, or at least the finale again. This one seemed to have a while, quite a bit of information that's finally been pulled forward to this season. Dolores, when she brought back Bernard at the end, knowing that he would try to stop her and mention that they would probably both die, but their kind will have endured. Dolores sacrificed herself last season in, in a way. And Bernard said this season, the successful path is one where he doesn't or may not make it. Uh, something always seemed off or something that's always seemed off is when we have the fidelity tests in the past, even in the present, they're very young in the process, two to 400 attempts. Dolores attempting to bring back Bernard used at least 11,927 attempts before deciding that maybe the original was not what needed to be restored, but something close to and changed. And at the very end, of course, the post credit scene, we have William as the man in black being fidelity tested by his daughter. They're testing on what appears to be the park at the inconclusive time in the future. Pools have evaporated. There's dust everywhere. His daughter talks about we bringing him back and testing him, as well as the world that he's br- seeing being what's left of the world he knew. This would tie into what we've seen uh, seeing this season after the uh, ELE with the host remaining. Uh, extinction level event, I think, is the mm. abbreviation there. This one scene may be well beyond what we're seeing this season. Um, yeah, of course, like Lisa Joy said that it's potentially thousands of years in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's crazy. I forgot 11,927 attempts to bring back uh, Arnold, and they still decided at the end to bring back uh, a not-quite copy. Yeah. Um, this is not a solved mean? problem. That's what that means. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if I wonder if I wonder if Arnold himself were an outlier and if they are talking about outliers being people that are just truly empathetic. <laughs> the quote unquote empath. Mm-hmm. That would be interesting to me. Um, it's possible. 
Because yeah, like if if uh, all the other codes, you know, that's that's more attempts than there are lines of code in the average human's uh, programming. That's kind of sure. crazy. Maybe outliers is just that that uh, complex. Bad news for the Caleb host then, because we he he's an outlier and uh, he's probably destined to go crazy. Anyway, we got another two emails to consider uh, that I'm going to call the philosophy corner. We had a, quite a bit of feedback from our philosophy podcast. Hadn't had time to consider those in the last two weeks, so I had two that I did want to. If you haven't listened to the philosophy episode yet or don't are not interested in, you can go ahead and sign off now. Westworld.baldmove.com is how you get us more feedback, and we'll be considering it next week as well. And, of course, this weekend we'll be live uh, just after 10 p.m., uh, 10, 15 minutes after 10 p.m. to talk about this week's episode and uh, what I'm sure the mind-blowing revelations we get uh, and therein. Westworld.baldmove.com. Come on into Philosophy Corner if you want. Otherwise, we'll see you see you next week. First up is Willie says, I think there's an unaddressed source of possible confusion in the philosophy pod that I wanted to address. Aaron at one point says something to the effect that it appears like a lot of personal freedom in Aaron's sketch of a deterministic world. The question arises, why is Aaron doing what he's doing if everyone's preordained and anything he says shouldn't impact the behavior of deterministic beings? I think using a computer program here is helpful. As you two well know, it's a procedure with inputs, functions, and outputs. Clearly, software is deterministic, but even still, a change in inputs can lead to a change in outputs. This is what Aaron is doing. He believes in giving deterministic people better information that they will behave better. It's also why prison is still necessary in a deterministic framework. It deters people making cold calculations, consciously or not, to not commit bad behavior. If they expect to be punished less, people will commit uh, crimes. Conversely, if there were no prison, people would otherwise not commit uh, would otherwise not commit crimes. Would a change in inputs leads to a change in outputs purely deterministically. Humans are like this software, but literal orders of magnitude more complicated. But to me, the basic metaphor holds: changing inputs leads to changing outputs. That's why making good arguments matter. It's the potential to introduce good behavior and flourishing of our new deterministic beings. Okay. Okay, let, let me let, let me keep reading before I get into my problems or where my brain is locking up on this. One extension of this metaphor is that not only can the inputs cause different outputs, the inputs can modify the algorithm itself. I think this is what Aaron means when he talks about being habituated to goodness. I don't think this ability in itself implies free will any more than a complicated computer system that has the ability to update its functions by evaluating outputs and modifying the code recursively does. Okay. I don't know if you are with me on this, Jim, but this doesn't make any sense because where, okay, what outside of humanity inputs and uh, inputs inputs and outputs to humanity? Outside of humanity? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the physical uh, properties of the universe, I would assume. Which are purely deterministic. Uh-huh. So, like, I, I still come back to, like, Okay, well, we're going to give people accurate information because it'll improve their inputs and outputs and it'll change the outcomes. Well, who decided to give them accurate information? Right. I mean, this is an argument. So, so, so what you're saying is like, if if it is deterministic, then those those modifications of inputs wouldn't even happen because they or were always, they were they're always the going to happen. That, right. They're, they're the inputs that would have always happened. This feels that's like this philosophy feels like, and I and I I just read last week or this this a couple days ago on, on the on the plane ride out here, um, Ted Chang's short story that Arrival's based on the the stories mm-hmm. of our lives, 
and it deals with like these aliens that exist um, with a capacity to understand time as flowing both backwards and forwards. And they have full knowledge of their entire lives. And they talk about like, you know, their life is basically more of a performance. You know, they know the part they're supposed to play. They, mm-hmm. you know, have conversation. They participate in conversations. They know the outcome is like a good actor would commit to their part, you know. Um, but I, I, I still keep on grinding on the fact that, well, it seems like this, like, like Aaron wants this to be a, a kinder, gentler, more progressive society. But to me, what I get from this point of view is you shouldn't worry about doing anything beyond what you're going to do anyway, because there's no thing, there's nothing that can really change other than external things that happen beyond your control. So why try to make anything better? If something better was to happen, it's going to happen anyway. Or, or the way I was like, the thing that locks my brain up is like, if you try, like, let's say you do make an effort and you go out there, like Aaron's going out there and telling people about these things. Well, that's what you're always going to do anyway, because of the inputs that, that have transpired in your life, right. To, right. To, to create your functions as, as the way they are, that's just the natural output of it. So yeah, by going out there and doing anything, are you actually changing anything or is that just what was always going to happen anyway? Yeah. And you're just playing the part and yeah, I don't, I don't know where his definition of free will lines up with like affecting change. Um, yeah, I, I was very confused by that, and I will admit to being confused and not understanding that position still after that conversation. But because even this word deterministic, if you got a program that can change itself and alter itself, like it's no longer, I don't think deterministic or deterministic um, in any way that humans based can understand. On, if it's changing based on inputs, yeah. then I would say it could still be deterministic, right? Um, yeah, in that it would have no no choice but to change in a very specific way given a specific input. But like but, that's the thing. It's like, okay, so if my inputs are changed by Aaron, you know, Aaron changed my inputs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, who changed Aaron's inputs? Exactly. Like at some yeah. point, like this you either get it's to all like it comes divine, back to the Big Bang, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it comes back and which then it's like, well, then you got the pro- yeah, you left carbon alone for three point eight billion years and it started thinking for itself. In which case, well, right. like, uh progress is gonna happen or it's not gonna happen. And I can't make it happen any faster or sooner because I don't have any control over anything. It just seems like it like like I and I think even Aaron um, admitted it like, you know, there is the dark side where I tell people this and they turn into like, well, then nothing matters. And uh, if I do anything, it's because I was always going to do it. So like, uh, fuck it. I'm just going to, you know, and, and we, of course, try to stop those people because that's what we would do. But I, I just it feels like it's um, unless you give someone any kind of agency um to like reflect and again a quiet moment reflect on something and and change their own self it seems like it's not a very good argument to 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 do any kind of activism or any kind of like like changing beyond what you find pleasurable or enjoyable to do with like engaging in conversations on podcasts and stuff um i i think i'm clearly wrong in understanding this but i don't know maybe 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 not um yeah i don't know he also finishes, uh, he says, on a side note, neuroscience is discovering that conscious thoughts about our actions arise in the mind sometime after a decision to act has already been made, sometime seconds later. These findings hold. It's a pretty clear example that control is simply an illusion that arises in consciousness after fact. I, this, 
I, to me, and I've read a little bit into this, this is pop culture, sci-fi, it's a science, science gone amok. Because it is true that if you put your hand on a hot stove, there are specialized pain receptors in your spine uh, in particular. And also through in, in, in like your uh, the lizard part of your brain that kick in to reflexively move your hand back before your brain even engages. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and our conscious brain interprets it as if I felt the hot thing and I jerked my hand away as a decision because that it was I, I consciously yeah. made. But I don't think that necessarily means that everything that we do is like that. Sure. You know, um, is, is my choice. Have I already made the choice tonight? What I'm going to have for dinner. And I just am creating a story about why I chose that because I have a yeah. certain craving or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I, and I think, and I don't know, know maybe Aaron has, um, uh, and, and maybe I, I'm again, misinterpreting these results. I'm not saying that I know better. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that the parts that I'm kind of grinding on the rails of these philosophies. Um, like if it, it I just think that's, it's kind of crazy to make that your worldview that in some extreme cases, that our body has like just like a worm. If you stick a worm with a hook, it's going to recoil. It has no thoughts. It has it barely has like, you know, a, the neurons to, to do the, the reflex action. It's not thinking, oh, my God, I'm getting paled on this hook. And soon that sure enough, I'm going to be putting a fish's fucking mouth. Um, we just have a consciousness that has to like make sense of the fact that we were outside of our own control for a microsecond. And we tell ourselves this little story after the fact, and our brain just kind of makes it all work. Just like it's my understanding that we perceive the world upside down because our retinas are attached backwards and inside out and our brain automatically remaps <laughs> that. And you can even do experiments where you strap a person upside down for a few weeks and they start to interpret the upside down world, right side up. And if you put them right side up, it takes several weeks for a visual center to reorientate itself. But that doesn't mean that the world is, you know, I, I guess you could, you, you could have a philosophical argument about if the world is actually flipped and how would you ever know? But like the end, like who gives a fuck? And I feel like that's yeah, where yeah. I got at the end. Like, you know, Aaron was feeling a certain way about not being able to convince me that his worldview is right. And I'm just like, I don't understand why this is better than thinking. Well, no, let me, I think that Aaron's afraid that if you give anyone any agency, then all the ideas of, well, then it's your fault that you didn't do something. And it's, I don't think, I I feel like that falls apart. Like you can just say it's it's like a Bayesian analysis of like, you can be 99% certain that if you take a human and you torture it and make it miserable, that they're going to be a miserable, tortured person. But there's 1% of people that will thrive in those circumstances and still be empathetic and altruistic and good, right? Mm-hmm. It's not a. It's not something we should set society up. We should set society up to benefit the ninety nine percent, not the ones who are going to be like fucking bulletproof anyway. But like, I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's like I said, I'm, I'm not rejecting it outright. I just don't understand quite. After an hour and a half conversation, this philosophy yeah. is any better than, than uh, one that gives people a little bit more agency. Uh, final question or final email we got for philosophy corner is Alex saying, thanks for hosting the interesting discussion with Aaron Rabinowitz. I enjoyed thinking about it in connection with Westworld. I think Aaron's making a fairly extreme claim that all our actions are hundred percent, the product of external circumstances is the ar- argument. As I understand, it seems to support only a more modest claim. The external circumstances are sufficiently responsible for outcomes to a point that where we should reexamine the political and legal systems that turn on institutions about personal responsibility. Yes. 
this that that's a very succinct way to express what I've tried to say in the last five minutes. Mm-hmm. The the and I think even like because uh, I in the, the Ben Burgess discussion, it seems like there is kind of like just like we have the anthropic pr- principle, which is like you know uh, the universe is set up to be conducive to human life because if it wasn't, human life would not be around to observe sure. it. And to there's like a weak it. version of that and a strong version of that. Like a weak version of that's like, well, you know, it could have been other ways. There might've been other human, there might've been other uh, conscious beings, not like us, the, but the, the strong one's like, no, no, no. The universe has to be set up exactly this way or else consciousness wouldn't occur. And I feel like mm-hmm. we're having a very strong versus weak conflict in this philosophy. Um, I think a world where the actions are 85% beyond our direct control is very different from a world where any and all independence agency is an illusion to demonstrate the Westworld example. Many things make Anthony Hopkins a great actor are surely beyond his personal control. I suspect his brain was wired with a natural talent for it. I suspect he's habituated to enjoy being on stage and on camera. I suspect he was well-trained. All of that is enough to dispel an and Ryan style political assertion that his wealth shouldn't be taxed at all because he earned it independently. But at the same time, I've heard no convincing evidence against the idea that he's making none or uh, none of his own choices at any moment, where to stand, how to deliver a line, how to use posture and facial expressions to create a feeling in the audience. Our intuitions about that level of personal choice are very strong and evidence that they don't exist at all seems thin. If you believe in the extreme version, there's literally 0% agency in all human decisions and humans who have been fly attacked in season four have not lost any personal control over the outcome of their lives. Yeah, that's kind of where i'm at too like it seems like you're going through a case to make a moral argument that everyone should be kind of taken care of but then you're also making an argument that like well if we're not who cares you know it's it's yeah (laughs) i mean the, the way i look at it and i don't necessarily think this is the way that aaron would look at it but uh i i i've always i i've used to have a very strong deterministic bent um as far as like my understanding of the universe like okay cause and effect and you know these particles collide in this particular way and they cause these outcomes which cause further outcomes all the way down the line until i make the decision about what to have for dinner tonight um Mm. and i had zero absolutely zero input on that it was all a consequence of the big bang it dated back billions and billions of years sure um I'm softening on that simply because quantum mechanics and I don't understand how any of that stuff works. And I know you get some strange behaviors um, that, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't happen. But like, if you take that all the way to the macro level, like it becomes a question of how we react to the, the, the outputs, right? Like mm-hmm. how, how are we going to hold people accountable for the decisions that they may or may not make? Um, essentially their actions. And I think like that's, that's where Aaron's trying to get to is like, Mm -hmm. we need to be softer on people because it's not just a product of like obvious, obviously they made this decision to do this bad thing. Um, Mm -hmm. There were a lot of factors in why they did this bad thing and we need to understand or, or at least like be empathetic to the fact that there are a lot of um, different factors and maybe not punish them as if they, simply did this thing of their own accord. That's that's the macro level. And and whether or not the micro supports that, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I largely agree with that, that outcome. We do need to be far more empathetic and far more understanding with how we deal with people and not just say like, 
oh, you, you, you know, you smoked weed on the street corner. <laughs> you're going to jail because you made a bad decision. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah that's yeah. fucked up. Yeah, and there's, like, also, like, in philosophy, things get confused because, like, there's terms like a philosophical zombie. And if you went in that conversation thinking in terms of The Walking Dead, you're going to not understand a goddamn thing that people are talking about. And I thought it was interesting when I watched the Ben Burgess, Aaron Rabinowitz debate. They started by trying to defer, determine, like, trying to define what they called free will. And they end up saying, like, uh, AFW to represent Aaron's concept of free will and BFW to comp- the to uh, encapsulate Ben's idea of free will. So mm-hmm. it's like, you know, free will might not be like even defining free will in a philosophic term. Mm-hmm. I was reading some of that is like, well, what does that mean? Like, does that mean that you could have made a decision differently? You physically weren't, you know, but like you're mentally never going to make those other decisions. But physically, you could have if you wanted to. Um, right. And also, like the like, I know why um, I listened to enough debates to know why like quantum mechanics doesn't necessarily save you from free will because I think what the philosopher would say is like that's like you're essentially being two face. You know, like I'm gonna flip a coin before I make any decision. Ha ha ha! I'm not deterministic anymore. I'm completely random. But what the fuck does that does that mean? You're making choices. Mm-hmm. You've you've just outputted your choices to some random thing in the universe. And I think that's like to the extent that like, you know, quantum mechanics is very micro versus a macro. Also, is it just putting a coin flip in front of people's decisions and everything's just, you know, like the other emailer said, deterministic, just with different inputs. I don't Mm -hmm. know. It's something, like I said, I, um, it's not something I'm struggling with because again, I feel pretty grounded in my own life philosophy and, and, and how satisfying I think that, but you know, it's, uh, it could be true and it's an interesting theory and I, I'd like to at least understand it. Cause right now I don't even think I can echo successfully an argument to back to Aaron or uh, yeah. uh will to where they would be like, Oh yeah, that's exactly what you're saying when it terms like, I don't feel like we've mm-hmm. even got those terms defined. Right. But the good news is all this stuff is currently being wrestled with on, uh, you know, Westworld, uh, the, the, this, in this week's episode. And I feel like, uh, it definitely is something that occupies a lot of uh, Lisa and Jonathan's brain and thoughts. So mm-hmm. struggling with that helps us struggle with Westworld better. That's it. We're now completely done. I'm closing the philosophy corner. Westworld at baldmove.com is how you get this feedback. Again, we'll be here Thursday or Sunday night immediately after the Westworld episode for club members uh, to, to watch us record our instant take live and participate in instant talk. If you'd like to get in on that support is how you pony up the five bucks to get there and you get a bunch of other stuff too. ad free feeds, uh, tons of other premium content, uh, access to special community sections of the forums and the discord. It's pretty cool. Support And we will see you Sunday night and Tuesday for the full episode recap until then I'm the philosophical zombie known as Aaron. And I'm Jim. We'll see ya.